0: Good evening. I'm Joe McFarland. I'm the Dean of St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland, and I want to welcome you to the eighth annual lecture in honor of Lieutenant Commander Eric S. Christensen. Lieutenant Commander Christensen was a man of unusual talent, cultivation, and valor. He graduated with honors from the United States Naval Academy in 1999. And he taught English classes at the Academy while also attending the Graduate Institute at St. John's College across the street. He was a lover of arts and of literature. In 2005, while serving as a task unit commander of a SEAL team in Afghanistan, he led a mission to rescue a SEAL reconnaissance squad that was engaged in a firefight with overwhelming Taliban forces. He and 10 other SEALs died in that effort. For his service, he was awarded many honors, including the Bronze Star with a V for Valor and the Purple Heart. And he survived by his father, Admiral Edward K. Christensen and his mother, Suzanne Christensen, who are regular attendees of the lecture series. The friends and family of Commander Christensen established this memorial lecture series to create closer ties between his two alma maters in Annapolis and to stimulate thought about civilian military relations and about the place of liberal arts in a civic and military education. And both institutions of higher learning hold that a life dedicated to service of our country should also be dedicated to reflection on our nation's fundamental principles. This lecture series is sustained annually by generous gifts given in memory of Lieutenant Commander Christensen and by the Navy SEAL Foundation. I invite you at the close of the lecture to attend the question period. The question period will be held on a separate Zoom link, so the lecturer and the audience may see one another when asking questions. And if you misplaced the link for the question period, it can be found on the St. John's webpage for the formal lecture series or for the Christensen lecture series. Now to our lecturer tonight. Dr. David Joey is an assistant professor of history at the United States Military Academy at West Point. He is also a history fellow for the Army Cyber Institute and currently he's a visiting senior research fellow in the Department of War Studies at King's College London. In his global professorship at King's College, he's examining why and how state intelligence services have harnessed emerging technologies to shape the information environment for strategic ends. Dr. Joy was himself also an intelligence officer serving as a counterterrorism analyst and serving multiple overseas tours as an operations officer. His articles on these subjects have appeared in the Washington Post, the Washington Times, the National Interest and in foreign policy as well as other media outlets. His lecture tonight is entitled America and Russia in the Information Environment, how to survive in today's social media battlefield. Dr. Joey, please, I welcome you to St. John's and to the United States Naval Academy. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you uh, Dean McFarland for the kind invitation. It's an absolute honor uh, to be here. I would say with you tonight, but COVID-19 has uh, virtually uh, enabled this. Um, I I wanted to uh, first and foremost acknowledge the Christensen family in particular, um, Eric's uh, parents, Admiral and uh, Mrs. Christensen. And I also wanted to thank um, my shipmate, Lieutenant Commander Mike Zampella uh, Dean Joe McFarland, who you just saw, and also Heather Latham uh, for their, their assistance in, uh, in setting this up uh, this, this evening. We are here uh, to honor the life and the legacy uh, of Lieutenant Commander Eric Christensen, uh, both um, a, a scholar and a warrior uh, with connections, uh, obviously, to the uh, Naval Academy and also to St. John's College. Um, along the lines of in memoriam, however, I also wanted to mention uh, my friend Major Chris Kennedy, uh, U.S. Marine Corps, uh, who uh, graduated a year ahead of uh, Eric at the Naval Academy, uh, branched Marine Aviation, was uh, an Annapolis instructor like Eric, um, and uh, and died at his own hand uh, in um, uh, in two thousand and seven in, in the summer of two thousand and seven. Um, We've lost uh, far too many um, both in uh, in combat and also uh, through various uh, causes that, that lead them to take their own lives um, and, in fact, the, the tie i'm wearing tonight was one that I um, I bought while Chris and I were on temporary duty in Germany. Uh, uh, the uh, the year before uh, he died, so um, you know our, our loved ones are always in our in our thoughts and. Um, and of course, this is, uh, this is a lecture series uh, dedicated to them and to, uh, and to uh, Eric Christensen in particular. Uh, the disclaimers, uh, this presentation is just me, uh, thanks to the Army Cyber Institute, uh, King's College London, the British Academy for enabling my research, but it does not represent any position of the United States Military Academy, the Department of Defense or the US governments. Okay, on to substantive issues. Um, I'm gonna go for about an hour and I've got a lot I wanna cover with you, but I hope that it will, uh, it will engender robust Q&A. Um, so first I wanna provide some context and the, the long view of intelligence uh, and influence operations and statecraft. Um, I'm a historian by background and training and I think the long view is critical. Uh, before we get to the Russians, because it's always sort of Russia, 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 now, I wanted to examine a, a non-Russian case study as well. Um, I want to consider why Russia, amongst many others, turns to influence and disinformation operations. What's the strategy there? I want to examine uh, through a couple of case studies how the Russian Internet Research Agency, the IRA, the, the name has subsequently changed, but I think everybody knows it as the IRA, so we can just sort of stick with it for for uh, clarity. Uh, They've created uh, bespoke disinformation to target Americans and to target U.S. service members and veterans in particular. So I wanna look at some of their their tactics. Um, And then finally, I wanna look to some other countries and some other points of view for resilience and remediation ideas to to counter uh, the plague of disinformation. Uh, I've got a a pretty robust thesis here. I've got six points, um, and then I'll stop with the very wordy slides. Uh, the first one is that disinformation, both foreign and domestic, is a critical national security threat. It's not, uh, it, it's not said as such uh, in, our, in our discourse. And so this, this sort of seems obvious to me and maybe to others, but it, it's rarely stated. And I think it's time to, uh, to actually start seeing it in national security documents. Uh, disinformation, both foreign and domestic, intersect and overlap in ways that challenge typical American conceptions of national security and who's responsible for national security. It challenges our legal authorities and the structure of our defense and our intelligence communities. Uh, disinformation should be treated as I've said as a national security threat. And I, and I think the time is right for the Biden administration's national security strategy team to really look at this and to give it pride of place in there as they draft their own national security strategy and to resource it appropriately. Uh, Point four, social cohesion and critical thinking are now a critical pillar of U.S. national security. Uh, The response of the government and a broader civil society, that is to say us, will have a decisive impact on the preservation of liberal democratic institutions, how we rise to this threat. And finally, we can learn from other countries, but ultimately, it's up to us okay some definitions what is disinformation Disinformation is essentially false information that is deliberately intended to deceive We often differentiate this from misinformation which where someone is, is misinformed um, and for the the purposes of an intelligence scholar or a practitioner like myself, uh, this can be lumped under the broader umbrella of Russian active measures. other things would include, Covert action, forgeries, political warfare, assassination, etc. From Sun Tzu to Machiavelli to Clausewitz to Gerasimov, across places and times, information in conflict is critical. Uh, hear the words of Sun Tzu from 5th century BC China: "To win 100 victories in 100 battles is not the acme of skill. To subdue the enemy without fighting is the acme of skill. Hence." To fight and to conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. Moving to 15th century Florence, uh, Nicola Machiavelli uh, told his prince that men discontented and, and desirous of change are able to open the way for, their, for the invasion of their country and to render its conquest easy. Russian General Karl von Clausewitz, one of the great military thinkers in 19th century Prussia, uh, counseled that, that leaders should uh, pursue operations that have direct political repercussions, that are designed in the first place to, to disrupt the opposing alliance, to paralyze it, to gain us new allies or favorably affect the political scene. And then finally today, the Chief of the Russian General Staff, General Valery Gerasimov, information operations could be employed to defend and advance Russia's national interests beyond its borders the role of non-military means of achieving political and strategic uh, goals has grown and in many cases they have exceeded the power of force of weapons in their effectiveness uh, general grasmov is a is a is a real thinker and i think he is on to something there and so this is an oversimplified view but I think it's important sometimes to look through the telescope the other way. Uh, the American view, as we might have it, uh, puts conventional operations and conventional uh, hardware, conventional tactics at the fore. And then information operations, psychological operations, cyber operations, that, that sort of stuff is in support. Uh, the Russian view seems to me to be uh, maybe not, not a perfect opposite, um, but they, they emphasize information operations at the fore and conventional operations and support. It's a different way of approaching conflict. Uh, and it's worth, it's worth bearing in mind. Uh, you know, for you Game of Thrones fans, you know, you'll see the, the same guy over and over again. And in, in this case, there's many names of, of information and conflict. And as you're reading, you may see information war, informationized conflict, political warfare, hybrid warfare, new or next generation warfare, and finally, gray zone conflict. These things aren't all the same, and I'm sure uh, that folks can quibble about what what they mean in particular. But one thing they all have in common is that using information, disinformation, misinformation uh, is at the heart of uh, of any strategy um, in in this area. I want to start with a little bit of history. As I said, I don't want to go right to the Russians because the Russians didn't they didn't invent some Fire. They didn't invent some new way of thinking about warfare. And so let's go back uh, to Europe in 1941. It's the Germans again, and uh, almost all of Europe is under the boot of Germany, uh, or you'll note our Swedish friends and our Swiss friends are not uh, participating. Uh, and Britain stands alone. The German submarine wolf packs, uh, their U-boats are posing an enormous threat to Allied shipping. Uh, Maybe you've seen the the recent movie Greyhound with Tom Hanks, Uh, he's a a destroyer commander uh, escorting a convoy across the Atlantic. It's on Apple TV and I would commend it to you as a a little window dramatization into this. Uh, And the Germans were very successful. Allied and and neutral uh, merchant war losses were astounding in 1940 and 1941, of course America is in in 1942. Uh, so that's a different a different picture. But in 1940 and 1941, uh, Britain is losing goods. Remember, they're an island uh, at, a, at, a, at a, an unsustainable rate. But whereas is America, America is neutral again. Uh, here's one of Charles Lindbergh, a uh, famous America firster, the, the first generation of that, uh, speaking to a crowd of folks who have no interest in getting into uh, Europe's bloody wars. Well, Winston Churchill needs the Americans to get in. And he says, well, you know, you can always count on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. But uh, I think Sir Winston would also say, sometimes they need a little prodding. Uh, and in the first world war, the great war, the Zimmerman telegram really came at the right time for the, for the um, sorry, for the, for the British. Uh, the Zimmerman telegram just briefly uh, was a proposal of alliance from the Germans to the Mexicans uh, in early 1917 as a way to, uh, to keep the Americans busy fighting in North America and not come over to France and tip uh, the favor uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the favor of the, the allies. Um, and of course, uh, that's, that's what happened. Um, the, uh, the Mexicans did not, uh, did not throw their lot in with the Germans. But it's World War II now, and they're waiting for lightning to strike. The British are waiting for lightning to strike again. So enter Sir William Stevenson and British security coordination. British, uh, Sir William Stevenson, as you can see uh, on the, the bottom left there, he's affectionately known as Little Bill, and I'll show you Big Bill in a minute. Uh, but Little Bill was, it was a Canadian, actually. It wasn't, it wasn't British, but he was, uh, he was responsible for British uh, intelligence liaison. And he was giving all kinds of, of intelligence to the Americans through his counterpart, uh, Major General uh, Wild Bill Donovan or Big Bill, um, who was the, uh, the head of the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, the forerunner of CIA. And, uh, and, and Stevenson well knew that almost everything he gave, if it was juicy enough, would go right to President Roosevelt. And so uh, Bill Stevenson comes up with this map and it's a Nazi map of South America. And it's showing uh, the German there is uh, is Luftverkehrsnetz there for Reinigte Staaten Südamerikas Hauptlinien, which uh, translated means the air traffic uh, nets uh, for uh, the the United States of South America and the the principal lines. And basically, what this is doing is it's showing that the the Germans have a design not just on conquering Europe but on conquering uh, South America as well. You know, sort of our hemisphere, according to the Monroe Doctrine. And so this is allegedly uh, purloined from a German courier. Uh, it's marked Geheim in the upper left or secret. And it's given from uh, our British liaison contact there, Bill Stevenson, to uh, Big Bill Donovan and then ultimately to Roosevelt. Roosevelt immediately sees how explosive this is just like the Zimmerman telegram was. And, uh, and on his Navy Day speech in October, of 1941, um, FDR uses it for, uh, for political purposes. Here's what he says, quote, Hitler has often protested that his plans for conquest do not ex- extend across the Atlantic Ocean, but his submarines and raiders prove otherwise. So does the entire design of the New World Order. For example, I have in my possession a secret map made in Germany by Hitler's government of the New World Order, it is a map of South America and part of Central America, as Hitler proposes to organize it into five vassal states, bringing the whole continent under their domination, including our great lifeline, the Panama Canal. This map makes it clear that Nazi design is not only um, against South America, but against the United States itself, right? In other words, uh, the Nazis aren't gonna stop. The Nazis are threatening the Americans. It's not just the European war and the Americans have to get into the fight, according to Roosevelt, to counter the America first and Charles Lindbergh crowd. Well, the Germans uh, are understandably, uh, you know, upset about this and and maybe it's marked secret. So of course they would object, but the Germans vociferously deny the authenticity of the map. German propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, who's there on your right-hand side, rejected FDR's quote, absurd accusations. In his estimation, this was a grand swindle intended to whip up American public opinion. Well, obviously Joseph Goebbels was a monster, but in this case, he was right. This map was a forgery that was created by British intelligence arts and crafts department as a way to uh, to help the Americans find the evidence that they wanted to see to get into the war today we might call that fake news. Now. Judging the impact of these things is, is tremendously hard. And of course, what really brings the US into the Second World War uh, is the attack uh, on December 7th, 1941 at Pearl Harbor by the Japanese, not, not fake British maps. Um, but nevertheless, I do think that, that there were plenty of examples, by the way, of, uh, of this, this uh, British map. Uh, there are other, other versions and, and other operations. Uh, but information plays an important role. After the war, Stevenson is decorated for his contributions to American intelligence and the guy pinning the medal on him is Major General Bill Donovan uh, of the OSS. Uh, behind Stevenson are some OSS grandees. And I've, you know, I've always wondered whether, Steve, whether uh, Donovan had any doubts about the map that uh, St- Stevenson gave him. Um, but okay, uh, so let's head back to the future. It's no longer the British manipulating the American information environment but it does seem like it's everybody else. So let's have a look at the Russians in particular. There's a long history of Soviet and then Russian disinformation and influence operations. And this is active long before the internet age. Uh, You may have heard of Operation Infection that claimed that the uh, United States government was responsible for the AIDS epidemic, that that AIDS was created in a a US government lab in Fort Detrick, Maryland. According to an Oregon State University study, 15% of Black Americans thought that the U.S. government actually targeted them with AIDS. No. Uh, This is a Russian operation, but you can see the penetration of the target audience. Uh, There was a rumor that CIA was selling crack cocaine in Los Angeles, started by the Russians. False. Uh, The slogan, Reagan means war. I should have put an exclamation point on it because that's how the Russians uh, did it and newspaper ads uh, in the 1984 elections to try to help Walter Mondale against Ronald Reagan by painting Ronald Reagan in the Soviet view as a warmonger. Um, And then finally, uh, I mean there's millions of examples, I just want to give you some highlights. Uh, In 1984, uh, in the run-up to the Olympics in Los Angeles, uh, the Soviets forged uh, Ku Klux Klan white supremacist letters to uh, athletes from African countries threatening them with uh, physical violence if they, ha- if they actually came to uh, the United States Olympics, um, and it didn't work. Everybody but, uh, but the two Soviet allies uh, did, uh, did come to the Olympics. So in that case, uh, that was a failure. Uh, but there's, there's certainly a long history of the Russians and the Soviets uh, swinging the bat, okay. Why do all this in the first place? Uh, you know, I, I see, I think too many times that the Russians are just out there sort of throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. But there is a strategy and it is discernible and it can be distilled thusly. Uh, first, to assert great power status, to matter, to be considered, to be respected. Uh, since international politics is a zero sum game in, the, in most Russian view anyway, uh, maybe not in your view or the American view, Uh, Market share, if we can appropriate that term, must come at the U.S. uh, or at the expense of the West. Um, The Russians use disinformation to preserve the Russian sphere of influence in the near abroad, uh, in Belarus, uh, in the stands, in Ukraine, in Georgia, uh, and to keep America and NATO out of it. Some of it has nothing to do with Americans or the West at all. Some of it is to protect and burnish the image of the Putin regime. Um, Some of it is to compensate for Russian conventional military shortcomings. The Russians know they can't stand toe to toe with the U.S. or with with NATO if you just look at uh, order of battle. And so this is a good way to sort of have an asymmetric approach. And then finally, to to compete with America and NATO in an area short of war. The idea there is to keep things uh, bubbling, but not over uh, boiling over. Um, I I don't want to say too much more about that, but I would commend to you an article in Lawfare uh, on this topic by Casey Strickland. She is an analyst of Things Russian at the Center for Naval Analysis, and you can Google her article here in Lawfare. Okay, let's look at uh, some of the the handiwork from the IRA and see if it compares favorably to uh, Bill Stevenson and his map that's their building, by the way, the so-called trolls from Ogino. Uh, that's as I understand that I've never been there, but that's a, uh, I, I didn't take that picture, uh, but that's a, a, a four story sort of nondescript building uh, in, a, in an old part of St. Petersburg uh, called Ogino. Okay, the IRA identified at least seven great images and uh, sorry, seven great cleavages in American society Uh, I say seven at least, because I think maybe you could point to more, Um, but they got to work dividing us by targeting and weakening American social coherence by increasing polarization, resentment and mistrust. Uh, And there's tons of memes I could show you um, on the following topics, Uh, guns and second amendment issues, religion, conceptions of patriotism, immigration and, and cultural identity issues, uh, what sometimes the Russians like to call values or European values, uh, race and racism, uh, and the elites or the establishment versus real people. Um, another way to paint that might be a, an urban-rural divide. Um, and finally, vet- veterans issues and the Civ Mill divide, which you know I, I'd love to talk about all of these uh, in great detail, but that would take a very long time. So given the uh, the connection uh, between uh, St. John's and Annapolis, I thought I would focus on veterans issues uh, for, for the, the sort of uh, prism that I guess that I'm gonna be looking through for, for this talk. But, but basically anything that you don't wanna talk about uh, you know, with, uh, with your family at Thanksgiving dinner is what the Russians want you talking about. Some of their attributes are, this is long-term, participatory, emotional, tribal, and uh, in my view, they're, they're usually quite clever. Okay. The military and veterans are at the center of public life and American civil religion to use Abraham Lincoln's term. Uh, you know, and we see uh, sort of you know, veteran issues and sometimes, you know, I think it gets frankly to be too much, um, but you know, you, you've got your, your jets camouflage helmet you know, your, your, your Mets baseball team, I don't know why I'm picking on New York teams, by the way, all, all teams do this. Uh, you know, everyone's in camouflage, everything is a salute to veterans. And veterans, you know, you can't go anywhere without getting a, a military discount. I don't think the founding fathers had a, you know, a man with a flag and boxer briefs and 10% off a jockey uh, when they were sort of, you know, standing up George Washington's army. But this is where we are today in America and the Russians know that. And so this is a place um, where you know, we, we do have a civ divide in this country and the Russians have focused their efforts. Well, why should we focus on service members and veterans uh, in the information environment? Well, veterans and service members enjoy a high degree of civic trust and social respect in America, although this may be declining and we can talk about that, but it's still extremely high. According to Christopher Goldsmith, quote, veterans as a cohort are more likely than others to participate in democracy. That includes not only voting, but running for office and getting others to vote. The flip side to the above point is that veterans also participated in, in the Capitol insurrection on the 6th of January and did so in disproportionately high numbers. Uh, what does that mean then? Uh, you know, I, I think it means that the mil- military service doesn't create an immunity to false information. Uh, the internet research agency bought at least 113 distinct online ads aimed at veterans and veterans advocacy groups during and after the 2016 election. And then of course, these gain more traction when people repost them. The IRA page quote, being patriotic had over 200,000 fans or followers at one point. As I said, uh, veterans were disproportionately represented in the Capitol riot, nearly one in five defendants served in the military. And I think that President Putin noticed that and was quite pleased by it the problem that we always sort of get into is we don't want to blame the russians for everything because they're not responsible for everything but foreign uh foreign disinformation and domestic disinformation uh stew together um and they they build off each other they amplify each other and i want to just read you two quick uh paragraphs from a report that was just published the other day by the Sufan group, and it talks about the the effect um, of foreign amplification. They say, quote, throughout 2020, the consistent foreign amplification of QAnon narratives online illustrates that externally driven disinformation efforts have contributed to the efficient spread of conspiracy theories. Indeed, the level of foreign influence during January and February 2021 continues this trend at an average of almost 20% of all posts analyzed by the Supan Group. One in five uh, has some sort of foreign nexus. Uh, Russia is often considered the most capable and sophisticated external driver of disinformation. Interestingly, however, our analysis shows that China is currently the state actor most involved in amplifying QAnon narratives on Facebook. In 2020, 44% of posts uh, came from administrators in Russia. 42% from China, 13% from Iran, and 1% from Saudi Arabia. Uh, essentially, the Russians are slightly declining, but the, the Chinese are, are, are really uh, moving ahead in case you're wondering why the percentages are, are different, the, the trend accounts for their, uh, their observation there. Okay, I wanna go back to 2015. And I wanna go back to, to what I've identified as a Russian proof of concept. I'm not the only person to do this. Uh, Jade Helm, um, was a military exercise. I don't know why we insist on naming military exercises, these, these things, but we do. And, uh, it was called a controversial military exercise. This is a snippet, I think from the military times or army times. And, um, it wasn't controversial except that, uh, Russian trolls called it controversial. And then people in America started calling it controversial. And then we stated it was controversial. Like it was a fact. Well, what was it? Uh, this is an unclassified map. It was a handout, um, and it shows that uh, the, the mostly Special Operations forces uh, were, uh, were were having an exercise, uh, as as they would, as you would expect them to do, uh, in Texas and across uh, the American Southwest. Um, seems innocuous enough, and certainly part of a, a routine. Um, the military needs to train, obviously. Uh, well, American political leaders and the alt-right started to amplify Russian disinformation to the, to the point where actually the Texas State Guard was called up, which is, uh, it's not the National Guard in Texas, it's a, it's a different entity, but it was called up by the governor. And General Michael Hayden, um, who I, I deeply admire and I think is the, sort of the smartest man in any room, uh, he says, Russian bots and the American alt-right media convinced many Texans that Jade Helm was an Obama plan to round up political dissidents. Uh, They're coming for your guns, they're coming for your politicians. And uh, and I think that's right. And so uh, Hayden says, quote, at that point, I'm figuring the Russians are saying we can go big time. And at that point, I think they said, we're gonna play in the electoral process. And that's exactly what they did uh, in 2016. And then also uh, with modifications moving forward in 2018, 2020. uh, And I don't think that they are done by a long shot. Uh, So with that as preamble, let's check out uh, some examples from the Russian Information Operations Playbook. Step one, pose as American veterans. Uh, Create what looks like organic content. Uh, In this particular case, this was a Facebook page uh, that was Vietnam veterans. Of course, it wasn't Vietnam veterans. It was Russians in St. Petersburg calling themselves Vietnam veterans. And they they made a meme that says this is why we salute the flag, and it has a real picture of uh, of a, a marine uh, standing uh, over his his fallen uh, comrade, and they say this is why we stand for the anthem, and this of course is trying to drive a wedge in the you know Colin Kaepernick you know should I stand should I not stand um, thing you know about the, the the national anthem stand for the pledge of allegiance, and so. You know the Russians want to play in that in that area as well because that's a that's an American cleavage issue and they wanna they wanna get in there and see if they can widen it. Step two, create a following in the military or veteran community with agreeable images. Right? Not everything is disinformation. Not not everything is uh, you know is is ridiculous. Um, you know, like, if you are proud to support our veterans, you know, who wouldn't like this picture, you know, a little boy, uh, it's hard to tell. I, I think he might be African American. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, older gentleman who's clearly a veteran, maybe he's on his way into a VA hospital. I'm not sure. Um, but hey, you know, I mean, that's, that's sort of, you know, bridging the, the generations. That's nice. The problem is that veterans come first is uh, an IRA front, and they're just trying to get more people to like them, get more people to pay attention to them, get more people to to get comfortable retweeting their stuff or sharing their stuff. Step three, add misleading images. Uh, In this Instagram post by American.Veterans, which you will not be surprised if I tell you was the Russians, uh, they've got uh, two images, uh, they have an image, sorry, and a quote. Now the image is a real image and the quote is a real quote. Um, The problem is that the quote is not related to the image. And so when you take a real image and a real quote, but you overlay them, and it becomes uh, disinformation. In this particular case, this is an honor flight, um, and this is where American service members are returned to their uh, their families, usually on a small domestic flight, that a commercial flight that you might uh, you might be on yourself. In fact, I was on an honor flight uh, once, and uh, the pilot came on and said, "You know, please stay in your seats. We are an honor flight." Um, and uh, the uh, the family of the fallen is going to come uh, greet the service member. So just hang on, and we'll you know we'll deplane in, in a moment. Um, it's a real image, and it's a moving image, and it uh, you know of course it's designed to move you, uh, but understandably so. Um, and then it's got uh, you know the, the Russians have always loved to attack Hillary Clinton. Uh, they've never they never forgave her because they thought that she was um, that she was fomenting. Um, Uh, so-called color revolutions in the in the Russian uh, sphere of influence in their backyard when she was secretary of state and so she did say the words what difference does it make except that that was in a the Benghazi hearing um, which had nothing to do with what you're seeing here Um, and so American veteran says Hillary Clinton will never understand what it feels like to lose the person you love for the sake of your country now there's seven, over 17,000 uh, impressions of this uh, and it cost the Russians 53 bucks. Step four, stoke anger and resentment in the US military and the veteran community and drive the sieve mill wedge even deeper. Here's a more recent one uh, that asks, uh, this, this might be a, a struggling vet, maybe a homeless vet. Um, it's certainly a problem. Uh, and, it, and it asks, uh, feed 10,000 Syrian rebels how about taking care of 50,000 veterans instead? Well, number one, that's a false choice. Uh, but number two, and more, sort of more to our point about the strategy, um, as far as the Russians were concerned, the Syrian rebels were called terrorists uh, because of course the Assad regime was a client state of the Putin regime. And so what they really want is to erode American support for US operations to support Syrian rebels. Um, we can think that's a good policy or bad policy, of course. Um, my job here with you tonight uh, is, to, is to explain how the Russians are trying to, to achieve their strategy uh, through images like this. Well, are we helpless? Uh, this is uh, President Putin, uh, number 11, playing in, the, in his hockey game. And who is helpless, I think, is the Russian defenseman and the Russian goalie. Because if they stop him, they'll end up in a gulag somewhere. Uh, but we are not them. we are not helpless and there's a lot that we can do and so I want to spend the balance of my time talking about resilience and how we might uh we might do better in the future uh the first uh, example comes from Estonia where they have a blog uh, a webpage called Propastop and it's just what you think it would be uh it's aimed at cleansing Estonia from propaganda and uh and the, the Estonians don't do this as a governmental uh, idea. They, they do this uh, as a volunteer effort. And so you might consider it sort of a, an Estonian Snopes, if you're familiar with that, for disinformation. Um, by the way, they don't talk about cybersecurity here. And I, I love that. They talk about information space security, right? It's much, much bigger than the ones and zeros. It's much bigger than the code. And so technological solutions are not sufficient here. And so they have a much broader view of this than I think most Americans do. And I applaud them for that. And I think we can learn from that. Um, The Swedes, uh, the Swedes put out, this is a picture of a little pamphlet that the Swedes used to put out during the cold war. Um, And it, it was called, if crisis or war comes and after the cold war, they stopped doing it in the early 1990s, because why, you know, we've reached the end of history. Well, about two years ago, the Swedes have started putting this out again. And if you remember the, you know, the yellow pages in the old days, it comes right to every Swede's home uh, for their information. Well, what does it say? It's a little pamphlet. Um, and, uh, and so I've got a, a screenshot of it here. And if you look on the left-hand side under emergency preparedness, uh, false information is the second thing down on page six. I mean, the Swedes understand that false information uh, should go above uh, the event of a terror uh, terror attack and many other things. It's that important. And I applaud the Swedes for doing that. Well, what do they say on page six? They say, be on the lookout for false information. And I'm just going to linger on this because I think it's really worth reading. States and organizations are already uh, using misleading information in order to try and influence our values and how we act. Their aim may be to reduce our resilience and willingness to defend ourselves. Right? Go back to Sun Tzu, go back to Machiavelli, go back to Clausewitz, and go back to Garasimov. That's exactly what they're doing. But the best protection against false information and hostile propaganda is to critically appraise the source. And this is where the historian in me uh, gets proud of the Swedes, because this is essentially what they're asking for is the historical method. Is this factual information or is it opinion? What is the aim of this information? Who has put it out? Is the source trustworthy? Is the information available somewhere else? Is this information new or old? And why is it out there at this precise moment? I mean, it, it might be worth making this page your, uh, your background or um, if you have a particularly tend- tangentious relative, make it their screen background search for information. The best way to counteract propaganda and false information is to have done your homework. Absolutely. Look into it. Do not believe rumors. Use, them, use more than one reliable source in order to see whether the information is correct. And do not spread rumors. Don't participate. If the, if the information does not appear trustworthy, don't pass it on. I think the Swedes have this exactly right. Uh, The Finns are also leaders, by the way, in media and information literacy. And this is something that we are not doing, at least that that I can tell very much in in our country. Uh, They say in Finland, uh, media and information literacy is seen as a civic competence, important to every citizen from an early age. Uh, We can learn from the Finns. I think that's absolutely correct. It is a civic competence. And this challenges our understanding of national security that that other people are responsible for security, that the Pentagon is responsible, that the Navy, that the army, that CIA, that FBI is responsible. No, in terms of information, we are all stakeholders. We all have a role to play. Well, it's no wonder then the Swedes put, uh, sorry, the Finns put so much emphasis on this and they lead Europe uh, in studying resilience to post-truth phenomenon, right? Like anything, like a diet plan or playing a musical instrument, right? If you stick to it and you practice uh, and you get good at it, right? That's just what happens if you put in the work. And I think we've really got to put in the work in order for us to get better. I want to go back to skepticism and why it's usually important but insufficient. Uh, and I'm going to go back to my story, my vignette about, about the Brits. Uh, FDR's Assistant Secretary of State, a guy named Adolf Burl, um, urges skepticism. He says, you know, this is in a memo he, he sends, he says, you know, British intelligence has been very active in making things appear dangerous in Latin America. I think we have to be a little on our guard against false scares. Adolf Burl was absolutely right. Skepticism. What, why do I see that? He was asking the questions that the Swedes are asking. Why am I seeing this right now? Who put it out? What do they want from me? Why is this in front of me? So, you know, but even source checking sometimes isn't enough. You know, Roosevelt uh, responded to Burrell and he said, look, let yourself rest easy. The source of this information is undoubtedly reliable. Uh, now, normally it's true. The, the Brits are, are very reliable. But both of these men, uh, Bill Stevenson on the right and, uh, and FDR on the left, they needed the map to be true for their own political purposes. And so that's... Uh, that's what became important. It wasn't important whether it was true, it became important whether the map was useful for what they wanted to do. This disinformation this, this, this problem, it endures, You know, without uh, you know President Trump's Twitter feed or Russian malign influence, because we, I think as a society, I think we value information like the gentleman I just showed you, they value the information for its utility to advance a political view instead of whether or not it's true. Uh, This image, as far as I know, does not come from the Russians. Uh, It comes from uh, somewhere in the United States. Someone put it on Facebook. And uh, it was in the height of the, the, um, the Trump trade war with China. And of course, what they're trying to show you is that the president's daughter has shoes made in China, but they're exempt from Trump's tariffs because there's a rule for the Trumps and then there's a rule for everybody else. Um, this has been, uh, shown to, uh, be, uh, I think a PolitiFact rated it, a uh, pants on fire, false, uh, number one, I mean, there's sort of a dead giveaway that tariff, uh, is spelled wrong, but th- that tariff exempt was Photoshopped on after the fact, uh, the, uh, her footwear line was, uh, uh was, um, uh, uh, was defunct before the president took office. So it's overtaken by events. It doesn't matter. Um, and shoes were never part of the trade war anyway. Uh, but the point here right, is to make you, the, the viewer, think that there are, uh, that there are two rules, uh, one for us normal people and one for the politically uh, connected. All right, what are some key takeaways as, as we wind down here? Uh, I think we need to understand that there's a long history of foreign meddling in our information environment, uh, but now digital advances mean that messages come directly to individuals, right? Before the Russians could run an ad in a newspaper, send a forged letter. Now they come to us on our iPhones. Uh, In periods of national or international crisis such as war or maybe a pandemic, right? I mean, a lot of the the Chinese disinformation that we've seen uh, revolves around uh, blame for COVID and that sort of thing. Um, And this increases the chances for disinformation to happen. In World War II, it was our friends, the British, who weaponized information for their own strategic ends. And then during the Cold War, it was the Soviets. And today it's the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, uh, hacktivists, criminals. um, And uh, uh, unfortunately, it's also fellow Americans. Our information environment truly is under siege. What can we do? Uh, I showed you the Swedish thing. I would encourage you to go download that that pamphlet. Um, But I think what can we do particularly Uh, We can set a good example in your team, in your office, in your family, uh, on your social media network by doing your homework before reflexively posting or sharing content to understand what the memes and other misleading content wants from you. The, The creators of memes want you to have a reaction. Ask yourself, how does this meme want me to feel? Don't rely solely on technology companies to cleanse your social media environment through algorithms and through wonderful content moderation. Number one, our muscles would atrophy if that happened. We need to have the skills to learn to identify this stuff. And number two, you know, we can regulate social media companies and, and maybe we should, um, but you know, they are not the arbiters of truth. They're not the, the sole guardians of, your, uh, you know, of what you believe to be true. Um, and so, and, and by the way, there's no algorithm that's gonna stop this anyway. Uh, so I think we need to stop, you know, barking at Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, uh, and really, uh, take some responsibility, uh, for our, for ourselves to do this. And then finally, I think we need to politely encourage others to practice media literacy, um, which we could put in the awareness column and practice a culture of skepticism, uh, which we would call uh, the education column. If you'd like to read a little bit more about this. Um, there's a history of fake news that I wrote for the uh, the, um, the National Interest magazine. It's it's online and it's not behind a paywall. You can Google that, and I try to answer the question: Why can't America reliably separate out fact, falsehood, opinion, and reasoned analysis? Uh, it's from uh, 2017. It's almost four years old, uh, but I think it's uh, it stood up okay. Uh, and then also, uh, I can commend to you something I wrote with a colleague of mine. Um, information isn't Russian; it's as American as apple pie. For um, an outlet called the Strategy Bridge, uh, and we, we basically look at you know how Americans have used uh, information warfare and, and you know narrative conflict, you might say, uh, for the um, uh, for most of our um, most of our history as well, going right back to the Boston Massacre. And, uh, uh you know and, and, and other sort of early bits of American history uh, so let me stop there um let me uh, stop sharing my my screen so I very much look forward to your questions uh, and I thank you for taking the time this evening to spend uh, with me and I thank you for your attention uh, so out here and I'll see you in a few minutes in the other chat room goodbye